Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the Johncast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. Healthcare in America has been, well, a convoluted mess for most people for as long as one can remember. But there was some good news recently as the No Surprises Act went into effect this year, and that is designed to protect folks from those monster surprise bills one would get because some sort of medical exam or procedure was performed by someone outside of your insurance network. Now, we wanted to dig into the No Surprises Act, find out why it took so long to take care of a significant problem like this, and also find out if there or any loopholes we should know about. Our guest is Robert Field. He is a professor of law and a professor of health management and policy at Drexel University. So to start, just kind of break down this No Surprises Act that started earlier this year. What is it all about? So this is a big win for patients. It gives you new protections against surprise bills. And those are the bills you get when you go to the hospital you think it's in network, but one of the providers, maybe the anesthesiologist was out of network. So you get a bill for their full charges, not what the um, insurance company had negotiated, not what's in your deductible and copayment, and find yourself out perhaps thousands of dollars, uh, which you had no idea you would face. What this law says is that for emergency care, if you go to an in-network hospital, you are covered for out-of-network providers. Uh, you only have to pay the deductible and copay, you'd have to pay for an in-network provider. If it's an in-network hospital for non-emergency care, you are again protected against out-of-network providers, but in that case, they can request that you waive your rights. They can also refuse to treat you if you don't waive your rights. So you have to actively decide at that point if you want that physician or, or other provider, uh, or you want to shop around for someone else who's in network. But this does mean that you won't get a bill that was entirely unexpected. You also have rights to complain uh, to either the state or federal government uh, if the law is not complied with. And then it provides the hospital, the physicians, and the insurance company with rights to negotiate any disputes over who ends up owing what to whom. Do we have an idea how, and I know it's a problem and I, I, I've i been hit with these bills during my life, nothing catastrophic, but enough to make you lightheaded when you open the mail. Do we have some context of how much money, like on, on a yearly basis, Americans are hit with these bills? We know that there are millions of dollars involved. Uh, the average amount is a few thousand, but there are certainly instances where tens of thousands of dollars, even in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, are involved. So it could add up to a su substantial amount. Uh, estimates are that up to 2% of national health care spending could come down uh, as a result of the end of surprise bills. I applaud action finally being taken how did this take so long? Like how it's just amazing to me, you know, I get stabbed in a park. I'm unconscious. I'm rushed to a hospital. 
how in the world am I supposed to have any concept of who's working on me where and what they what their status is with my insurance company? How did it take so long to get to this point? Well, you know, there are a lot of glitches in our healthcare system. This is one of the most glaring, but there are plenty of others that need addressing. The positive side is that there actually was bipartisan agreement to do something about this. And the law passed in 2020. It's taken up until this year for all the regulations to get written so it can actually go into effect. But the positive side is that both parties actually came together to endorse this. Why it went on for so long, uh, why does anything go on in politics these days for so long, uh, which should be no brainers to resolve? I would imagine there are people that aren't happy about this, specifically when you look at it from a hospital standpoint, from a doctor standpoint. Uh, and I think I read in passing that there are some lawsuits kind of coming after this. Do you expect it to hold up to legal mustard when, when it's all said and done? Yeah. Well, I think the guts of the law will hold up and they have not been challenged. What's been challenged is the provision for arbitration when the insurer and the hospital uh, or the physician have a dispute over what's owed. But at that point, the patient is out of the picture. Uh, they are only responsible for their deductible or co-payment. And it's with to those other entities uh, to figure out who owes, who owes what. Um, the hospitals are not happy with the regulations for the way that gets implemented. And it's an interesting process. They use the baseball arbitration system where each party gives their best offer and then the arbitrator chooses between them. The arbitrator starts with an assumption that the average cost uh, under insurance contracts in that region uh, is the fair cost. Um, they can adjust that uh, if it's a doctor who has special expertise, if the patient has uh, special complications, but they begin with that as their default position. Um, hospitals would prefer that they don't, and that's why they've sued. Um, as I said, so far, there have not been sued, uh, suits uh, to try to prevent the patient protections, the direct patient protections from going into effect. There is one group that stands to lose financially from this, and that is the private equity funds that have been buying up physician practices, hospitals, and in some cases, clinics and other healthcare facilities. Some of them had been making their money by staying out of hospital networks and then being able to bill patients for the full amount, which is often many multiples of what the insurance company would have to pay. But so far, we have not seen them take this law to court. You did a great job of breaking down how this works when we started. As someone who studies this, who looks through it, are there any loopholes you're concerned, any kind of open-ended areas that you could see being a problem as this becomes more common and, and we kind of understand how it works? Yeah, I, I think there are a few points that patients need to be aware of. One big hole in the law is ground ambulances. Uh, air ambulances are covered, uh, but that would only be in a serious medical situation. But the regular ground ambulance that comes to your house, they are not covered from, by this. So uh, they could still charge whatever they wanted. Uh, so that's the first thing to be careful of. Uh, the other is non-emergency care at an in-network hospital 
where the out-of-network providers can still ask you to waive your rights under the law to have their bills limited. And then you as the patient have to decide whether you're going to waive those rights and risk a big bill or go with a different provider that maybe you don't want as much. Uh, the other is if it's care at a facility that's not in network, you still have to be aware of what hospitals and clinics are within your um, plans network. Uh, the networks are now required uh, to publish directories and to keep them accurate uh, every 90 days. Uh, but it's on you as the consumer to keep up with those directories and make sure it's, it's in network. Um, the other big uh, uh, warning uh, to patients is that you have to know your rights. And if you don't enforce them, uh, the government isn't going to act on its own. You have 120 days to file a complaint if you think you've been overcharged. After that, uh, in most circumstances, uh, it's too late. You're, you're going to be prevented. Uh, so if you think something is wrong, you have to act. You do, on the other side, have the right to a good faith estimate of charges. So if it's an out-of-network provider or if you don't have insurance, and you say, I know this is out of network, what's it gonna cost me? They have to give you an estimate, and then the insurance company has to give you an estimate of what it will cost you uh, after insurance is kicked in. Uh, so you do have that right, but again, uh, you have to keep on top of it, you have to look at that estimate, you have to see if anything is wrong with it. Um, the final thing patients should be aware of is this does nothing about high deductibles. If you have a plan with five or $6,000 in deductible, it's not going to lower that. Uh, you're still going to have to pay that much money before your insurance kicks in. Uh, so you should always keep that in mind. The ambulance thing is interesting to me because that's one of the things that you, I've heard anecdotally, like friends or read articles that somebody got rushed to the hospital and got a $1,700 bill for a four-mile ride. Uh, how does that evade this? Is that very cagey lobbying? Is that a good faith accident? Is it something, a donut hole that was purposely not touched? Like that, It just seems like an odd thing to not include in this. Yeah, I think it's a donut hole that was left untouched. And I think uh, lobbyists have fought to protect their donut. You hear stories of uh, these bills for, for short ambulance rides that actually go into the tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, now, if it's an emergency, you don't always have the time to shop around. Uh, so the best thing is to look in advance. Um, I know in some areas there are volunteer ambulance corps, and uh, if you subscribe, uh, then they'll cover uh, uh, routine uh, ambulance trips. Uh, so especially if you think uh, you're a uh, high risk for being a patient, um, perhaps elderly with a chronic condition, uh, then it, it makes sense uh, to look at ways of preemptively obtaining those services. Um, but if you're uh, hit by a truck uh, crossing the street and uh, someone calls 911 and an ambulance uh, shows up, uh, that's one area where you could be hit with a really big bill. We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation with Robert Field right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back continuing our conversation with Robert Field. He is a professor of law and professor of health management and policy at Drexel University. Why is this all so hard? Why is 
this all so difficult? And you, you very, you know, effectively laid out what you should do specifically with the ambulance stuff like that. But when you're talking about your personal health, like, should it be this difficult that you should have actuary tables available to you if you start to feel lightheaded and where I can go and where I shouldn't go? Should it be this hard? Absolutely not. And this is the perennial question about U.S. healthcare. Uh, all healthcare systems have problems, but ours is unique uh, in the administrative complexity and the burden on patients. In a sense, that's what keeps people like me in business. <laughs> I spend a lot of time studying this and trying to figure out solutions. Um, we have this complicated system that's part government and part private, and most of the services are provided by private entities, but there's government oversight and government subsidies, and the private side just gets bigger and bigger uh, and more and more important. Um, we do have a uniquely complicated healthcare system. It began, ironically, with the idea that we would put more power in the hands of the consumer, that you would shop for healthcare the way you shop for a car or a TV, and that would put you in control. Uh, just like if you walk into an electronics store and decide what TV you want, uh, it's up to you. You can walk out and not buy something. The problem is that healthcare isn't like a consumer good. And you can't just chop around and you certainly can't just walk out and say, I don't want a TV today. Um, and given how complex it is, I mean, think of the people who work in healthcare. They're doctors who spend 10 years training for it. Uh, there are health economists who spend seven or eight years getting PhDs. Uh, this is about as technical a field as there could be. Uh, so our original goal, our original utopia of selling healthcare the way we sell cars or TVs, it just doesn't work. And I think as the years go by, it works less and less because healthcare gets more complicated and we put more and more of a burden on consumers. And there are tremendous opportunities here for corporations. Some of them are extremely innovative and they've created life-saving products, but it's also opportunities to sort of wheedle into the cracks, uh, like with surprise billing, and um, take advantage of the system. And then uh, what we've been doing for the last 50 years is really whack-a-mole. People, uh, corporations, uh, whomever, uh, finds little holes, grows those holes. Uh, there's more and more of a burden, uh, like the surprise medical bills. Uh, and then we jump in when it's too late uh, to do something about it. And then, of course, something else uh, pops up. Uh, but because of our complexity, uh, we have the most difficult system in the world. I think I, I feel very safe saying the most difficult system in the world for a patient to navigate. And it's interesting you mentioned, and I've heard that before, you know, shop for your health care, freedom. We're big on that when it comes to talking points and stuff like that. But it's difficult to shop if I call five hospitals and ask how much it's going to cost to take my nine year old's tonsils out. I probably won't get an answer from anyone. And how am I supposed to to shop around? And I don't know. Is it kind of gross to be handed a menu of what the you know what it would cost to take certain things out in certain surgeries? I don't know. But there should be a way where you can have because you mentioned with the no surprise you get a good faith estimate. It seems to me that there should be some kind of mechanism where that's the default where you know before you go in for a procedure. You know, I'm not talking emergency, but a procedure, what this is going to cost, how much do you 
the insurance is going to cost because I've been very lucky and haven't had serious medical problems. But anytime I've had anything uh, past a regular doctor's visit, there's like three rounds of bills that you get and you don't know when it's going to stop. Why isn't there some way where we can get, you know, a general idea what something's going to cost? Yeah. Um, to me, who studies this, it remains something of a mystery. Uh, the, the hospitals resist it. And part of that is legitimate uh, because you don't know when the patient comes in, how complicated things will be, um, what they'll find when they begin to operate, um, what kinds of postdoc treatments there will be and so forth. But part of it also is to operate without transparency so that you really can't comparison shop. And that, of course, eliminates the incentive uh, to be competitive in terms of pricing. Uh, there have been efforts to do something about that. There are a few websites that will help you price a limited range of services. Uh, healthcarebluebook.com is one of them. Clear Health Cost is another one. And for some regions, uh, there's a map and you can click on for certain simple procedures like a chest x-ray. And you actually could comparison shop if it's something like a chest x-ray or basic medication, as long as you don't need it on an emergency basis. But if once you get a little bit more complicated, uh, it becomes very, very difficult. And, and again, part of that is the complexity of healthcare, but part of that is an effort to avoid price transparency uh, so that we won't have the kind of free market uh, that we had originally hoped for. My reflex question is like, how do we fix it? And I know that is about, that's probably a 10 year dissertation that at the end, we still wouldn't have a good answer, but are there, are there some things we could do? And I do think this no surprise act is a very good step in the right direction, but are there other things we could do that would make life simpler and easier for everyone involved without completely unwinding the U S healthcare system as we know it? Yeah, um, I think that we could start by regulating the nature of the networks that health plans have uh, and the nature of deductibles and copays. Um, the Affordable Care Act, uh, I think, went a, a long way uh, towards helping people get health insurance who otherwise couldn't have had it. But one of the blind spots is these deductibles, uh, which get up into the multiple thousands of dollars. I think we should be limiting those. And we might even limit it based on income uh, so that if you're struggling to get by uh, to pay the rent, uh, you shouldn't be facing a five or $6,000 deductible because your kid got appendicitis. Um, in terms of networks, we've seen networks contract and hospitals are, um, I'm sorry, health plans are able to control pricing uh, by having very narrow networks of doctors and hospitals uh, who agree to, to low prices. Uh, but I think they've gotten too narrow. And that's one of the reasons that surprise bills are such a problem, uh, because the networks are so narrow and all of the doctors you need for an operation may not be in it. So I think regulations to require larger minimum components of networks, more hospitals, more physicians, and so forth. Um, beyond that, uh, I think we should make sure that everyone can truly get health insurance and uh, even with the Affordable Care Act, we still have about 10 to 15 million people, uh, maybe as high as 20 million who don't have it. Uh, and I think that if people did not risk being totally uninsured and facing 
gigantic liabilities, uh, it would make it much easier to, to deal with the system. Uh, and um, no one would be totally over a barrel uh, because they don't have health insurance. Uh, and hospitals would not face the, the threat of a large number of patients who weren't able to pay the bills. Uh, I think that would help to rationalize things a lot. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.